You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Nation-state hacking gets mixed reviews, three cheers for the American red, white, and blue versus ISIS, but thumbs down to those colors when they fly over Russian ops in Scandinavia. Privacy seems to be in tension not only with security, but with transparency as well. Crimeware is merging for new functionality, and some ransomware gangs are finding the blockchain a good infrastructure alternative. We take a look at educating the rising cyber labor force, and we learn something about the challenges of data security in the cloud. And finally, we look at the good, the bad, and the ugly. You can tell them apart by the color of their hats. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary and week in review for Friday, April 15th, 2016. The week that's ending saw the return of ISIS to prominent online information operations, in this case making its inspiration specific by marking individual apostates and crusaders for death. One hopes that security authorities are properly alert. In any case, the U.S. has stepped up military offensive cyber operations against the self-proclaimed caliphate, and there have been few objections from other nations, not even apparently from Russia, with whom the U.S. and Turkey have found themselves at cross-purposes in Syria. The Panama Papers and the coming implementation of the Privacy Shield Data Handling Agreement between the European Union and the United States brought into focus an underappreciated tension. It's long been clear, and it's long been discussed, that there are certain conflicts between security and privacy. The Masek Fonseca data loss suggests that the relationship between privacy and transparency is also problematic. This hasn't gone unnoticed by Department of Justice partisans in the FBI-Apple iPhone breaking dispute. One DOJ attorney, speaking for himself, noted this week that Apple seems to have more in common with Masek Fonseca than it does with the EFF. We're paraphrasing. What Jeff Breinhold wrote in War on the Rocks is that Apple was acting like an offshore tax haven. The FBI, by the way, still hasn't found much of anything on that jihadi's iPhone, and consensus is that the Bureau's unlikely to tell Apple just what its hired gray hat hackers did to gain access. The security industry saw a mixed week in the stock exchanges as investors grapple with appropriate valuations. One issue companies and governments are struggling with is recruiting skilled cyber workers. U.S. Federal CIO Tony Scott addressed a passcode session in Baltimore this Tuesday about the sector's need to close the talent gap by opening careers to people who may have been overlooked due to their background, formal education, and the like, or even overlooked because job descriptions are written in ways many people find unappealing. Not everyone wants to think of herself as a cyber ninja, for example. One promising way of attracting younger talent to the industry is competitions. We spoke with Jack Harrington from Raytheon on one of these, the National Collegiate Cyber Defense Competition. Here's what he had to tell us. About 180 schools compete, uh, and it's all about them being able to prove that they can defend uh, and protect 
against network attacks and cyber attacks, right? So they get a real network. Uh, there'll be uh, different types of red teams, which are the actual hackers that are coming in and, and attacking their networks, and they have to keep up the services. They'll have customers, et cetera. And uh, as it goes through these 10 regions, then the winner of each one of those regions meets in San Antonio uh, in April, and that's coming up here very quickly uh, for the national title. Uh, the best of the best schools make it each year, but it gives the kids real-world experience. I mean, that's the biggest thing, I think, for me, is seeing how real life it is. They have real-life customers that call them, and they get bosses that give them tasks that they have to produce white papers and presentations on in the midst of all this attack going on. So it's a very interesting event. Harrington expressed the importance of improving the pipeline of workers for both our industry and our nation. You know, we're not only protecting ourselves, we're protecting our customers, we're protecting the products that we provide, and we don't have enough talent, uh, nor do our customers have enough talent out there. And so we've been involved in a program for many years in science, technology, engineering, and math, uh, STEM, right, education and careers, and it's called Math Moves You, focused on grade schools, getting more kids, middle school uh, math students, and getting them involved in math, science, engineering because we don't have enough engineers in our country. Well, the same thing is happening in cyber, and so this is a natural extension of our STEM involvement. And it really is, I think, at this point about getting to the college kids because universities are starting to put bachelor's programs together, starting to put master's programs together. But the numbers of students that actually are aware of a you know, degree or a opportunity and career in cyber uh, is very low. I think it's a national imperative we get more and more kids involved. For the coming generation, computers and mobile devices are the most natural things in the world. But according to Harrington, we need to do a better job at making sure that they consider security with those devices and the possibility of a career in the field. Kids are born with a device in their hands today. Right. I mean, I look at my son, even he's 21 and, you know, he's texting and Snapchatting and doing all the things that, that young people do. And it's ubiquitous in their life, but they don't think about cybersecurity, even from their own, you know, IT security hygiene perspective. Right. I mean, click on anything in two seconds and, and things are launching. And I think it's it's a failure at the national education level to get the word out and to say, hey, um, protecting yourself is important. And then that this is an area that we need to get young people involved in. At one of the surveys we did, about 50,000 companies were advertising for jobs that require a CISSP certification last year, right? So that's a, a cyber and information security uh, certification. And what we found in kind of looking out there is there's only about 65,000 people across the country that have these certifications and they're all employed already, right? So you got 50,000 more that are out there. So we need to be able to create more. And I think that that's a matter of, you know, getting to uh, the grade schools, getting to the high schools, and then most importantly, getting to these college students. The finals are coming up April 22nd through the 24th in San Antonio, Texas. And according to Harrington, it is a spectator sport. Biggest thing I'd say is come on out to San Antonio, and it's a great weekend. Um, you get to see all the excitement. Saturday afternoon's probably the most exciting time when the red team really unleashes their fury against the 10 finalists 
and uh, before that they're kind of prepping as they go out and and so to really see a team you get down and you see a team of red team hackers these are the best of the best across the country that get recruited um, and compete to be a part of that prestigious red team uh, so it's it's an exciting event that's Jack Harrington from Raytheon you can learn more about the National Collegiate Cyber Defense Competition at nationalccdc.org. IBM X-Force researchers report the two banking trojans, NIMAME and GOZI, have combined into a single malware package, GOZNIM. It uses NIMAME's two-stage malware dropper, then deploys GOZI's injection of a malicious dynamic link library. More than 70 banks are said to have been affected. GOZNIM is being delivered for the most part by malicious macros and email attachments. This isn't the first time malware has been combined. Attackers have done this sort of thing before as an effective way of packaging desired functionality. The Shifu Trojan that appeared in 2015, for example, integrated aspects of Shiz, Gozi, Zeus, and Drydex. CTB Locker Ransomware is now using the Bitcoin blockchain to deliver decryption keys to victims, and also to take victims' payments, according to Sikori. This approach makes it easier for the criminals running the extortion. They no longer have to maintain an elaborate infrastructure of gateways to their back-end server. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. Joining me once again is Jonathan Katz. He's a professor of computer science at the University of Maryland and director of the Maryland Cybersecurity Center, one of our academic and research partners. Jonathan, I know an area of research for you and your colleagues at the University of Maryland is the security of data in the cloud. Well, one of the issues that comes up with cloud computing is that you have users that are outsourcing their data to the cloud, and then either doing computation over that data in the cloud uh, or just perhaps using it as a storage medium and then retrieving the data afterward. So there are two concerns that come up uh, most naturally. One of them is privacy of the data, keeping the data uh, hidden to the extent possible from the cloud. And the other that comes up is the issue of integrity, that is making sure that the data that you've uploaded to the cloud uh, is not being tampered with, modified, or uh, accidentally deleted. 
All right. So what areas are you all exploring when it comes to this stuff? Well, in the area of uh, ensuring integrity, one thing we're looking at is uh, outsourcing schemes that allow a user, for example, to upload their data to the cloud, as I mentioned, and then um, be able to pose queries on the data, for example, search queries, range queries, exact matches, what have you, and be ensured that the result they get back is actually correct with reference to the original data that they uploaded. And so the challenge here is to make sure that the scheme uh, is efficient, uh, namely that the user doesn't have to store very much data, doesn't have to do a lot of computation, but nevertheless can be assured that the answer they get back from the cloud uh, is indeed correct and, like I said, hasn't been tampered with or, or, or fabricated completely. Hmm. So how about the privacy angle? Well, there, one of the challenges is to, is to ensure that the user can access their data obliviously. Because even if the user encrypts their data so that the cloud can't actually uh, view any of the underlying data itself, the cloud provider may be able to learn a lot of information by looking at uh, which items in the data the user is constantly accessing. So, for example, if they see the user repeatedly accessing one item, they know that that's currently an item of interest. And so one thing we're working on here is uh, the development of so-called oblivious data structures that allow a user to um, obtain their data without revealing to the cloud, even when they're accessing the same data multiple times and without revealing, in fact, anything about the access pattern to the data. And this is just one mechanism that can be used to ensure privacy for the data being stored by the client. Interesting stuff. Jonathan Katz, thanks for joining us. Struggling to secure on-prem apps with modern identity? Don't worry, you're not alone. Join industry leaders from Fortune 500 organizations to secure your apps on any cloud with any IDP, regardless of your environment's complexity. Meet Strata's identity orchestration platform, Mavericks. Say goodbye to the headaches of app refactoring and legacy tech debt. With identity orchestration, you can modernize legacy apps to use MFA or passwordless authentication in a few weeks, migrate from one IDP to another, and so much more without changing the app. No matter your IAM use case, Strata extends the value of your current identity investments. And the best part? You can try it for free today. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire to share your biggest identity challenge, and they'll hook you up with a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Don't miss out. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire. That's strata.io slash cyberwire. This was the week of Patch Tuesday. If you were worried about the mysterious Badlock vulnerability, take heart. Badlock turns out to be bad, but not truly horrific, and Microsoft has now patched it. Sysadmin should pass Cisco's Unified Computing System, UCS, central software. Researchers have discovered that a remote, unauthenticated attacker can compromise UCS. Users of QuickTime for Windows should also take action. It's at the end of its life, Apple will no longer support it, and it's affected by known vulnerabilities. In this case, users should follow Trend Micro's advice and simply uninstall the software as soon as possible. Returning to international cyber conflict, we note that several sources are reporting that Sweden's infrastructure has been under threat of a cyber, or at least an electronic attack, from Russia since November of last year. The incident under most discussion is a series of outages Sweden's air traffic control system experienced between the 4th and 9th of November 2015. These disruptions are thought to have been caused by Russian testing of its Krasuka mobile jammer, a very modern but also very blunt electronic warfare instrument. 
While the Krasuka 4 is said to be clever and agile, it's still a big jammer that puts out massive RF energy, designed to shutter hostile surveillance and communication systems as far away as low-Earth orbit. The fact that such alleged jamming would have posed a problem for civilian air traffic control systems is unsurprising. What's mildly surprising is the suggestion that the threat to Sweden's infrastructure came either from Russian military forces or by actors supported or directed by the Russian government, specifically an advanced persistent threat group. This suggests a more conventional cyber attack than the heavy electronic warfare operation implied by Krasuka. Heavy-duty jamming would also seem easier to attribute, after all, it's unlikely that a group of hacktivist hobbyists, say in Kaliningrad, would have fabricated their own Krasuka. There's also reports that Swedish power generation and distribution networks may have also been probed. Russia and Ukraine continue to host the world's most active and capable cybercriminal gangs. Looking Glass and Lifars offer an overview of Eastern European gangland in the Surveillance blog. They make a good bit of money from direct theft, but they also realize considerable profit from the sale of products and services. Off-the-shelf Trojans and DDoS bots are particularly popular items. The gangs also offer hacking services, dedicated server sales and bulletproof hosting, spam and flooding services, download sales, DDoS services, traffic sales, file encryption services, and exploit writing services and sales. One mild surprise in the surveillance report is the minority but influential participation of German black marketeers. Eastern Europe obviously overlaps Central Europe, at least for the cyber gangs. One trend in cyber gangland is making the Eastern Europeans' infrastructure more robust and resistant to takedowns. According to a Team Kimri report, more of them are using fast-flux networks to change the A records of a domain rapidly, which yields a swiftly changing list of IPs hosting that domain. This makes it more difficult to take the domain down. Fast-flux network servers are located for the most part in Ukraine and Russia. They're hosting major carding sites as well as TeslaCrypt payment sites and Treasure Hunter point-of-sale controllers. Before we leave cyber gangland, we note that Dmitry Fyedotov, a.k.a. Paunch, the black hole exploit kid impresario, was just sentenced to seven years by a Moscow court. Whatever protections Paunch thought he had either reached their expiration date, or perhaps he overstepped his bounds or overstayed his welcome. In any case, Paunch and several other cyber criminals are now out of circulation. Finally, on the subject of hackers, here's a quick guide to the various colors of the metaphorical hats they wear. Metaphorical because, as everyone knows, all hackers literally wear hoodies. They also say we hear, I'm in, a lot, but we might have just heard that on television. Think of the distinction in terms of use and disclosure. White hat hackers are vulnerability researchers, penetration testers, and the like. They operate within the law to find security bugs and disclose them to the people who can fix them. Sometimes they earn a bug bounty. Black hat hackers are criminal hackers in the classic sense. They find vulnerabilities and exploit them for illicit gain. And somewhere in between are the ones in gray hats. What they do can be a little unclear, whether because the law is unsettled, because they themselves operate on both sides of the law, or because they disregard commonly accepted precepts of ethical disclosure. Fairly or unfairly, exploit brokers are often grouped with the gray hats. So there you have it in cyberspace. The good the bad, and the ugly. And that's the Cyberwire. 
We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Hey all, Rick here. At N2K CyberWire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to share your feedback now.